Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always, plenty of entertainment. So, as you can hear, I'm a bit under the weather this week. The Covid finally caught up with me. I've done well to avoid it until now and thankfully the dose has been pretty mild. Or maybe the cocktail of drugs I'm taking has masked the more severe symptoms. I was feeling pretty rough all last week. Had my braces adjusted on Monday and have been getting a sore throat and swollen glands for about 48 hours every time the braces got adjusted over the past few months. So I thought nothing of the discomfort I was feeling last week. I was also pretty fatigued, but I put that down to a busy week and an even busier weekend until I started getting a sniffle on Thursday. Well, numerous antigen tests later on Thursday and Friday all were negative until late Friday afternoon when the dreaded double line showed up within seconds of doing a lateral flow test. And just like that, it was game over for the weekend at Lakutra Castle Triathlon in Galway. Total bummer. And I was gutted to be missing the event. But by Saturday morning, I struggled to get out of bed and my voice was gone. My voice is still not 100% as you can hear. So nothing for it but to chill out and relax for the weekend and let the body work through the infection. This interview with Annalise was recorded last Friday. I definitely was not firing on all cylinders for the chat and listening back can clearly hear my voice was under pressure. Thankfully, the weekend was sunny, so I spent most of it doing what I was told, resting in the garden and literally doing nothing. It was like going from hero to zero after the excitement and adventures over the past few weeks. But for a change, I did what I was told and sat on my backside for the weekend. It's been a slow start to the week, but I'm hoping I'll be back jumping around the place again in no time. And I'm really looking forward to working a triathlon this weekend. It might take a little longer before I'm back, tearing up the tarmac on the bike or jumping on the turbo for a bit of a Zwift. But by all accounts, the slower the return to training after COVID, the better. And maybe I might just convince myself to spend some time on my strength and conditioning whilst I'm waiting to get back on the bike. Hmm. I'll let you know how that plan goes. At the moment, I have a lock on the fridge to try stop the mindless snacking, although my appetite has gone way down, which, to be fair, is no harm. Congratulations to everyone who raced at Lakutra Castle Triathlon last weekend. I had so much FOMO looking at all the photos and videos. And of course, congratulations also to Brian and the Castle Race Series team who celebrated a decade of racing at Lakutra this year. Check out the race report over on our website and get yourself signed up for next year with a 30% discount currently on offer. But hurry as this discount ends very soon. In case you missed it, Helen Murray of the Inside Tri Show and I held a special edition of the Tri Commute on Friday the 20th of May. We had so much fun with our guests on the night. Kat Matthews, Ruth Assel, Laura Siddle, Fenella Langridge, Nikki Bartlett and our own Hilary Hughes that we decided to release the live show as a bonus podcast episode. You can check it out wherever you're listening to this episode. It's a lively, insightful and entertaining hour of fun. Last Wednesday, I hosted the first webinar in a new series for our partners, Nuasan, featuring Dr. Neil Flint, sports and performance psychologist, who shared insight on how to unlock performance potential using the power of the mind to reach our goals. She also looked at the use of hypnosis in modern sports psychology. If you missed the session, keep an eye on our socials for the release of the recording and be sure to pop over to Nuasan as well and check them out. You can get a discount on the products if you tune into the Tri Commute or just drop me an email and I'll send you the code. It's time now to get stuck into this week's episode with our superstar sailor, Annalise Murphy. The three-time Olympian who won a silver medal in Rio shares fascinating insight to her career in sport and her life-chasing success on the water. 
full of fun and with a love of adventure, Annalise Murphy has spent more time on the water than on land from a very young age. Growing up surrounded by sporting success, she sailed her way into the history books in 2010 when she became the first woman to win the Irish National Championships. She is a European and world champion and in 2016 at the Rio Olympics secured Ireland's first medal in sailing since 1980. She became the female world champion at the Moth Worlds in July 2017 and later that year joined the Turn the Tide on Plastic team for the adventure of a lifetime in the Volvo Ocean Race. In recent times, Annalise has been tearing up the tarmac, trails and gravel on her bike, taking podium spots across a variety of bike races. She is one to watch over the coming months as she has already demonstrated a natural talent for cycling, racing and going full gas on two wheels. Her cycling success includes finishing fifth in the National TT Championships in 2021. Rumour has it she took a wrong turn and did an extra few K in that race. She also finished second in the Galway Classic behind Eve McChrystal a few weeks ago and last week was crowned champion of the Orwell Wheelers Women's League. Studying for an MBA in Trinity at the moment, removed from the constraints of life as a full-time athlete, Annalise has been embracing her love of sport, adventure, fun and people to the maximum. Highly competitive in nature, dedicated and committed to her craft, tenacious and ambitious, yet humble in her success, the world is at her fingertips and this fascinating episode into her life will give you plenty of food for thought as you embark on your next challenge or adventure, whatever that may be. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Annalise Murphy, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. It is so good to see you after your adventures in Utah with Hilary Hughes. Thank you very much for having me. I'm sure yeah, like the last time we saw each other, we were sunning ourselves in St. George, so... A bit of a change. <laughs> well, I saw pictures of you running up and down Snow Canyon, um, chasing Hillary on the bike and supporting her over there. So how did you end up going out to Utah? I, I'm, I'm really great friends with Hillary. I actually, she did medicine with my sister. So that's how we got to know each other. My sister was always saying, oh, you need to go out training with Hillary. Like she's always out on the bike. But I don't, I'm so busy and Hillary's so busy that we never really managed to. And then I just got back from the world championships in Australia at the start of 2020 and I was out on my bike and there was like getting, you know, sort of evening time. It was pretty cold end of February. I was like at the top of sort of viewpoint, just it's like you go up crew road and I see this girl coming down the hill and like, you know, you don't see that many girls out cycling on their own. Normally I'm like kind of the lone ranger in the Dublin mountains. So um, I was like, who's that? That's Hillary. So anyway, I stopped her and um, we ended up then just started chatting away. And then she was like, oh, do you want to keep on cycling with me? So I was like, yeah, sure. So we cycled on together for like another hour, basically, until it got dark. Because it was, I guess, then sort of the start of like the lockdowns hadn't really started yet, but it was like the start of COVID. And um, so I just started doing lots of training with her. And we just like the two of us got on like a house on fire. And um, we've pretty much been just great friends ever since then. Then, yeah, she's been, you know, kind of going on her like Ironman journey. And I don't know, I'm probably like, I don't know if I'm the bad influence or the good influence, but I'm just like, Hillary, look how good my life is being, being a full-time athlete. I was like, yeah, of course it's hard. And like, there's bad things about it as well. But like, at the end of the day, like, I don't look back and go, oh, I regret doing that. It's been like, you know, the best thing I've ever got to do. So um, you definitely need to go and do this. So yeah, when she was going to Utah, I kind of jokingly said, I was like, oh, I'd love to come out, but I'm doing an MBA at the moment, so I'm really busy. And then I suddenly realized I was like, I could just go out for the weekend to watch her. So about two days beforehand, I like text her, is there room for me in the house? 
And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, OK, I'm booking flights. I'll fly out in two days time. And um, yeah, clear out with my boyfriend, Kean. And then um, we went and did Hillary's last little training session with her. And she was going so strong. She kept on dropping me. And then she was like, I don't know if you're just trying to big me up here or if I'm actually really strong. We're both like, no, no, you're actually really strong at the moment. <laughs> and then she was like, you guys are jet lagged. We're like, no, no, you're actually you're going really well. And then, um, yeah, the actual day of the Ironman, because we both brought our bikes out so that we could cycle around as well. So we like cycled around to different points of the bike course and to sort of cheer her on at them. And she didn't really expect to see us as well, because I think she just thought we were going to be watching on the run. So like there was two different points where we're like, go on, Hillary. And I had a big Irish flag. And um, yeah, I had uh, she got me a speaker that you can clip onto your handlebars um, for my birthday because we always like play tunes when we're doing like hard interval sessions. So like I had this speaker and I was like blaring this song. She actually said it on the podcast with you, Duhast, sort of rowing, sort of death metal kind of song. And I'm like playing that and like waving the flag and running along beside her. So it was, um, oh, it was such a good day. It's unreal to like, I don't, I've never been at that many events where I'm like supporting someone. It's like I'm always on the bed for myself. And I really like it was such a buzz. And just seeing her perform so well and achieve what she set out to do. It's um, yeah, it was it was definitely worth the mad four day trip. Mad four day trip is right. I can't believe you brought your bikes out as well for four days. Wow. We use them every day, though. Got four days of cycling. This is how you connected with Hillary and we we got to Utah. But you're a sailor, like first. And, well, actually, you were a hockey player first, from what I understand. And then a sailor, an amazing sailor, three-time Olympian and a silver medalist in Rio. So where has this cycling come from? Yeah, well, I guess I've been sailing my entire life. I've also actually been cycling. Like I, from a kid, was like cycling to school. And we used to, my parents had good friends that were in the Willow Wheelers. So they used to, we used to go cycling with them sometimes. But I'd be like a kid on a mountain bike and everyone else was on road bikes. I'd be like, Mom, this is really hard. And she's like, shut up. Come on. Keep on going. <laughs> um, you know, I had like three gears on my little like rally kids mountain bike. So sailing the laser particularly, it's such a like an endurance class. And there's so much leg strength required that like cycling perfectly complements it. And also because it's like, you know, you're not going to get like injuries cycling compared to if you run or something like that as part of your fitness. I kind of got my first road bike when I was about 16. So I've actually been cycling a very long time. Everyone's was like, oh, like your bike handling is very good. I'm like, yeah, I've been cycling my whole life. But it's something we we didn't really know about you, you know, because the focus was completely on sailing and on the Olympics and all the championships that you did. So lots of people are now like, jeepers, Annalise is cycling and she's flying it. You won the Orwell Wheelers Tuesday night series. Just this Tuesday gone, you, you were crowned the champion of that yeah. series. Yeah, yeah, it was six days. So to go back, I did my the first very first day of that in 2013. I did like the first round of the Orwell Women's League. I couldn't go out and race because if I got injured racing my bike, it would have been so bad, you know, because it's like you're, you've got you've injured yourself, you know, being an idiot, trying to, you know, be too competitive in the sport that you're not meant to be doing. So um, so I didn't really do any racing. I did a couple of time trials. Um, Back in 2012, I did like the InterVarsities time trial and another one. And then, yeah, I guess I, I did the, the sort of Leinster time trial championships in 2020. And I did the time trial nationals last year. So I've been doing like little bits, but yeah, I'm actually way less fit now than I was when I was Olympic sailing. Everyone's like, you're going so good. And I'm like, no, I'm not. My numbers are so bad. I'm like, my heart is so high. I'm so unfit. Um, so. It's uh, it's actually what I find really hard is I'm really hard on myself because I you know I I just can't help being kind of competitive, 
And then when I aren't doing as well as I should, and I know it's because I've been kind of like burning the candle at both ends, you know, going to hen parties, which is amazing because I've spent so many years saying that I won't do that. And I've spent so many years going, no, sorry, and being very selfish for myself, you know, because I just always prioritize rest and recovery and training above everything else. Well, I just don't do that anymore. You know, I'm there like, you know, want to kind of go and socialize with people and have a bit of crack and coming towards the end of my of my degree or my master's. But um, it's still that's really time consuming. So but I then kind of find it hard. I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that race. I wasn't prepared at all. But then also it's great crack as well. And it's great like getting to race against, you know, a bunch of really competitive women also like that's you get such a buzz out of seeing so many, so many women on the start line. And you're well up in the mix. I mean, I know yourself and Eve McChrystal were toe for toe at the Galway Classic there just a couple of weeks ago. And rumour has it you were singing the fields of Athen Rye as well on that course. So you mustn't have been racing too hard. I was, <laughs> yeah, the Galway Classic. Oh, I had so much fun. I'd actually done the Strada Bianchi uh, Grand Fondo back at the start of March. So uh, I was kind of like, I'd done a bit of semi-race on a lot of gravel and I've done quite a lot of mountain biking this winter. So I was loving the gravel roads. I kept on like shouting parkour as we'd go around corners. I think Eve is just like, this girl is a lunatic. How have I got stuck with her? At one stage I turned to Eve and I'm just like, this is class. I love suffering like this. And she's just like looking at me, she's like, there's something wrong with you. And, um, and sure she yeah. loves suffering as well. And didn't Hillary tell me last week that her favorite session is like a VO2 max session. Let me get into the red and just hammer it. Yeah. I did sing the fields of Athen Rye, but we were literally cycling through the fields of Athen Rye. So I felt like it was apt to, to just be singing away. And also I try not to take it too seriously as well because, because I'm not taking it seriously. So I can't take it seriously when I know that I'm, I want to take it seriously, but I also don't want to take it seriously. I'm in this weird little limbo phase of life. So how do you find the balance of, you know, wanting to be competitive and being very competitive and very strong, but then trying to have the crack as well. Is it a fine line, you know, after the Galway Classic, were you hard on yourself or did you congratulate yourself for such a fantastic race? Because it really was a great race. Um, I think I was like a bit hard on myself because I felt so good that day, but I don't have like the race tactics to know what to do with it. So I think I probably could have just gone on my own at the end, but I also, I don't know because I don't really know what I'm doing. So that's um, that's part of it. But then something that I have learned is that it is hard to do it all and actually keep on doing it. I've been kind of like on an edge of getting sick for like the last month because I've just been wrecked all the time. But then I just keep on saying yes because I want to do everything and meet everyone. And basically I say yes to everything at the moment because I just spent so many years saying no. But anyway, then it actually did catch up with me this week where I was suddenly like it was the Mead GP on the like first attack climb that Eve went on. I got to the top of that on the back of Eve's wheel and I'd lost my voice in the two minute climb. And I was just like, oh dear, I think I've, I think I've burnt the candle at both ends too much here. That's something that like going from being like a full-time athlete where all you work on is like your rest and recovery and, you know, eating really well and resting really well. And I was just so obsessed with like looking after myself and making sure that like I got the most out of every training session. And you realize you're like, oh yeah, that does actually work. Well, I'm having so much fun that I'm like, well, maybe I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. <laughs> so before we go and talk about your life on the water, does it feel like you've suddenly got a load of freedom now? So much freedom, so much fun, so much opportunity to just do whatever you want, whenever you want, within the constraints of having to do that MBA. Oh, it's, I also loved the structure of training and 
like my big problem was I loved to train so much that I'd always want to do more than I should. I just, I loved it. And I still do. That's probably why I still do it so much is because I just, I enjoy it. I get, I guess I get that like endorphin buzz out of training. I don't know. I find it really hard to sort of not do anything, but now I've discovered, okay, I don't need to train every day, but like I commute on my bike everywhere. So like I always get in, even if it's only an hour, I'm getting in like a little bit of exercise every day. And that kind of keeps me taken over. In February, I did like a mountain biking race, or I said to Mark McCabe, he's been my physio and my like S&C coach since I was 16. And I said, I was like, oh, I'm going to do uh, this mountain biking race in Balnestow, um on Saturday. And he was like, but you're doing the Seville marathon next weekend. And I was like, yeah, he's like, you shouldn't do that. You're going to wreck yourself for the marathon. I was like, you're not the boss of me anymore. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> he's like, you're such an idiot. Anyway, so I went, I did the mountain biking race absolutely smashed myself, had a great time, and then went to Seville the next weekend to do the Seville Marathon. But I'd injured my foot playing tennis in Trinity. <laughs> so I hadn't been able to run for two weeks. And I also, I couldn't wear, I was planning to wear alpha flies, but I couldn't wear them because my foot was sore from in my tennis injury. So then luckily there's a gym down in Run Zone, the, the running shop in Rathgar. He was like, I went to, I was like, Jim, I don't think I can even run. And he was like, okay, look, let's try on a load of shoes. So we tried on lots of shoes and um, eventually found a pair of Sacconis that my foot didn't hurt in. But I still had like, that was just walking around. I still had no, no idea if I could run. And then, uh, yeah, we, uh, I ran Seville with my brother, my younger brother, who did no training. Like I at least did like a little bit. He just like bounded off into the distance like a gazelle. I was like, goodbye, about 10K in. Um, but I guess all my endurance meant I like never hit a wall or anything like that. But I got to about 30 kilometers and I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm going to easily do 330, even though like I've never ran further than 20 kilometers. And I was like, I'll easily do this. <laughs> and anyway, I got to 30 kilometers. And I was like, oh, my legs don't work anymore. <laughs> and then I was just like dragging my legs behind me for the last 12 kilometers. And I just kept on telling myself, I was like, anyone can run a 10K. Anyone can run a 5K. Anyone can run a 3K. And then I was like, I can't run a 3K. <laughs> Yeah, when I finished, I was actually, I was in a bad way. I had to get one of those uh, scooters back to the Airbnb because I couldn't walk. Luckily, they have those, you know, ones with your phone. So I was just phone, got the scooter. But even like the step up onto the scooter, I couldn't really lift my leg that much. Oh, like I just, that was awful. And then I had to write an essay that was due that night at midnight. So I'm like lying on the couch in the Airbnb in Seville writing this essay. And I actually, like, I feel so bad for the poor lecturer that I had to read it. I didn't even proofread it. I just like sent it off and I was like, Sure, I'm completely delirious. I'd say she doesn't even know what that is. Like, I just basically wrote her a little story. I probably was talking about it. I was like, I was running today. It was horrible. <laughs> but yeah, it's fun being able to do those things because I've never been able to kind of just push myself without any uh, any worries about the consequences. I would say that there was consequences that I wasn't able to walk for three days, but it was it was still actually, it was fun in a hard kind of way. Bring us back to sailing, um, because this is what you're most known for, is your fantastic achievements on the water. I've never spoken to somebody who, or I've never interviewed somebody who was a sailor. So give me a, give me a full lesson on sailing. How, how do you get into it? I know your mom uh, raced in the 1988 Summer Olympics as well. So obviously there was an interest in the family there as well. But tell me more and tell the listeners all about it. I've sailed since I was a kid. My my mom is a sailing Olympian. My sister was born in 1986. And then my mom basically was just like to my granny, okay, you mind Claudine? I'm off to go <laughs> to go try qualify for the Olympics. 
So um, my mum went to the 88 Olympics and uh, my dad was in the Air Corps. So they kind of he was able to do a little bit of coaching when he was able to get time off. So he actually went to the Olympics with her as the coach. Yeah, they got to experience like the, you know, the Seoul Olympics and everything to do with this. And so from like a kid, it was a really big deal that it was like mom went to the Olympics. And then they also in 1993, they broke the round Ireland speed record on a boat called Lakota with um, an American adventurer, Steve Fawcett. Um, he really famous adventurer. He actually he died in a small plane crash a good few years ago now. But um, he's like famous for breaking all these records um, around the world sailing and in hot air balloons and stuff like that. So they um, mum still she's still the fastest woman around Ireland. But the record got broken in, I think, 2015. So um, but they held it for over 20 years, the record. And they did it in 44 hours and 22 minutes. But they had three small children that they just like left. And I was like. Guys, that was so dangerous. Like you definitely could have died. And they were like, yeah, we didn't really think about that. <laughs> they were just like class opportunity to race around Ireland. So um, I guess sailing is a huge part of our, our life. And um, we grew up, my mom and dad, they sailed together. They had a boat and they raced it up in Blessington Lake. We spent our whole childhood just in Blessington Lake, sailing boats or sitting on the little beach there, you know, building sandcastles and yeah, I didn't really like I didn't take the like the junior stuff too seriously. Like I only did my I only kind of learned to sail when I was 10. I was my first sailing course, which is actually quite late. I was even down. I was sailing on Wednesday night and there's like all these like six and seven year olds all learning to sail on Wednesday evenings. I'm just like, oh, they're, they're so cute. But I was just like, oh, my God, they're so young. They're going to learn so much. But yeah, I was like a little bit behind in the like um, it's called the optimist scene where you're like you can sail in the, these small boats up until you're 15. But I just had these like big ambitions at the time. I'm going to go to the world championships. So I didn't even realize that actually like I was like I was probably like in the 50s in Ireland. Like I was I wasn't very good, but I had all these grand ideas of what I wanted to do. Like I was like, I'm going to do this. And I think I was really lucky because I was so keen as a kid. I had a couple of great coaches that were or sailing instructors that really just took me on and would bring me out for extra training during the summer courses. And I had a coach called Bobby Collins, who was a. Uh, He's, he was like a mirror world champion, which is another type of wooden boat. And um, he, you know, he was the one who kind of like set me on my path and, you know, sort of would not just, you know, kind of get me to go training, but he'd be like, we should go for a jog up and down the pier at lunchtime, like stuff like that, that you don't even think about as a kid that you're actually like getting in this, like, I was just like, okay, let's go running up the pier. And yeah. And then I got into the laser 4.7 quite young when I was 13 which normally kind of normally you'd stay in an optimist until you're 15, but I was actually just as pretty much as tall as I am now when I was 13. So um, I'm six foot, so I'm very tall. So <laughs> I yeah, got into the, the laser 4.7, which is exactly the same as the laser radial. It just has a smaller sail with less, much less power. So it's you know, for, for sort of kids. And I was in that for two years. Then I moved into the laser radial. Then I just kind of, like, I was so lucky. I just had this like great progression where, I wasn't like a child protege. I was just good. And then every year I just would train hard over the winter and I'd get better each year. And that was kind of what I did throughout my kind of youth career. And then because I was so into like, I kind of, I didn't realize that you couldn't really do these things. I was just like, wanted to go to the senior world championships when I was 17 on the world sailing website. I just found a link to apply for extra entries, even though like, you're not meant to do that. Like the Irish sailing is meant to do that. But I was just so keen as a kid. I was just like, I applied for 
uh, allocations for my sister and myself. And then James, our performance director, he was like, Annalise, did you uh, put in an application for the World Championships? I was like, oh, yeah, I found the link on the website. And he was like, oh, yeah, you're not meant to do that. And I was like, but they've given me an entry. <laughs> so uh, yeah, me and my sister went to the Senior World Championships that year. And yeah, then I just, my like big breakthrough was probably in 2009. I finished eighth at the Senior World Championships in my first year of racing as a senior. And that got me onto Sport Ireland funding and kind of changed my whole life because then I was actually able to go, okay, I have a shot of trying to qualify for the 2012 Olympics. How did you qualify for the Olympics and how did you end up three times at the Olympics? Because it's one achievement to get to the Olympics once, twice, three times, and then to come home with the medal as well in 2016 from Rio. Absolutely amazing. I didn't even know if I'd be... I guess I never even knew if I'd be good enough to even qualify for the Olympics. Like it was so the girls I was racing against, they seemed so good that I was just like, I just don't even know how I could get to that level. And then, yeah, I just, I had a really good year. My first year as a senior in 2009, getting onto Sport Ireland funding. I was really lucky that my parents, they, they supported me 100%, but they don't have a, you know, they, there's, they don't have an unlimited amount of like, they wouldn't have been able to support me full time to go into Olympic sailing you know they were like kind of you know always in having had an overdraft and stuff to just for me and my sister to sail and um yeah kind of getting to yeah getting that and I said I was like I'm going to defer my degree from college because I was in science doing science in UCD I'll just see how it goes and you know if in a year's time I do really crap I'll stop and I'll go back to college but I had a really good year in 2010 and I did well. There was the Olympics were going to be, the sailing was going to be in Weymouth, which is down in the south coast of England. And I did really well at the World Cup event there. I finished 10th, which was really good. So like a top 10 at, at the Olympic venue when everyone that was going to be at the Olympics was there, like a really high standard. And just kind of continued to do well. And I still like would lose a lot of confidence quite easily. Like I'd be going really, really, really well. And then something would go wrong. Like it would be something really small to be in like training. I wouldn't even necessarily be in racing. And then I'd be like, I'm so terrible. I just get very emotional. And I'd just be like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm so bad. Uh, so that was like the end of 2010. I started working with Kate Kirby, the sports psychologist. I'd actually worked with her when I was like 15. She'd come away. She had just finished her sports psychology masters and she'd come away with the sailing group to an event in Germany. And she was kind of, she stayed with myself and Kylie, one of the other girls, because, and then Rory stayed with all the boys in another apartment. She was the first person, actually still like, funny. I have all my notebooks and like, I have the notes that I wrote, like that she got me to write down of like, you know, how do I prepare for the day? And like, how much time does it take me to make my breakfast and prepare my lunch and walk from where we're staying to the, the sailing venue and get rigged and get changed and just all that kind of stuff. And uh, like things about confidence or even things about like, at that time, I'd been sent away with, you know, cash that basically was enough for my food. And that was about it. Like, I think on my second day there, I saw a pair of jeans. And this was when, you know, like the old flares that dragged along the ground. Everyone was wearing them. I was so tall. You couldn't get any flares that dragged along the ground for me. So anyway, but in Germany, I found a pair of long flares that dragged along the ground. And I was like, I have to get these jeans. These are my jeans. So anyway, I bought these jeans. Yeah, I was like literally living off like... I think I had like a loaf of bread and like a packet of ham and cheese that I was just making myself ham and cheese sandwiches for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And she was just like, at least you can't do that again. Did the jeans look good though? 
oh yeah they were great they were dragged along the ground like you know I was so happy I was like because I never got to experience it I'd never had jeans that dragged along the ground so <laughs> um yeah I started working with Kate again anyway at the end of 2010 and she just really helped me again just try and like prioritize confidence and stuff like that and I think that was the one thing that I'd probably be missing in my preparation was you know the actual preparing my head well for racing and kind of then just 2011 I had like one of the best years of my career it started off the world cup event in Miami I finished fourth there which was like just, you know, huge, like a breakthrough to be like top five at a World Cup event. Um, I had my 21st birthday on the last day of that event. So it was it was quite cool. I was, uh, you know, fourth at the big World Cup event. And then it was my 21st birthday that night in Miami. It was uh, it was quite exciting. And yeah, I just continued to have a really great year. I finished third at the World Cup event in Weymouth, which was huge. That was like meddling at the Olympic venue against everyone that I knew I'd be competing against in the 2012 Olympics. And then at the end of the year, I finished sixth at the World Championships, which qualified me for the for the London Olympics. And it was honestly looking back now, I really had a very like a very easy time at the time. I thought I was having a hard time, <laughs> but it was. Yeah, I had, you know, I really didn't have very many hard times. I just I was enjoying it so much. And there wasn't that there wasn't really I had like a bit of pressure for myself, but there wasn't really that much pressure on. And going into the like the 2012 Olympics. I knew I had a real chance of winning a medal, but I also knew I'd kind of messed up the last race of the world championships that had stopped me from winning a medal. I needed to win a medal at a major championships before the Olympics so that I, I know what it feels like. And in my mind, I was, I think I've really messed up here. I don't, I don't know if it did. Cause like, you know, and then when I got to London, like I had, I had a fantastic Olympics. Like I won the first four races. I think in terms of like points, it's my like second lowest ever points accumulation over over an event in sailing you get one point for first 10 points for 10th 20 points for 20th I went into the medal race on 34 points which is over 10 races that's really low it's your you know averaging basically a 3.4 per race for for 10 races which normally would easily win you in Olympics I think the Tokyo Olympics was won on like 100 points or something so it's uh it's run over a couple of days isn't it you're, you're not just sailing for one particular position on one day it's over a couple of days over six days so you do two races a day for five days and then on the final day the top 10 do one more race which counts for double points and the idea behind that is just to add a bit of sort of excitement for the medals for tv but you count your points from the first 10 races technically you could actually go into the last race having won a medal already you could go into the last race and you literally are doing a lap of honor you know, like it doesn't matter where you finish in the race or it could be like the case in the London Olympics where there was four of us, uh, Marit and Lily were on 33 points and myself and Evie, the Belgian girl, were on 34 points because it's double points. We basically were equal. So it was whichever of the four of us finished over the line, it didn't matter if we were the last four boats in the race over the line or the first four boats over the line in the race. That was how it was that the medals were going to be decided. And um I've never been stressed like that. <laughs> I was so afraid. I was like, all I could think about was like, imagine if I just mess this up. And I was like, I'm go- I actually just had it in my head. I was like, how awful is it going to be if I come forth? I couldn't even think about the fact that I had like basically a 75% chance or better really of, of winning an Olympic medal. I was just like, ah, fourth place at the Olympics. There's nothing worse. Anyway, so I was, yeah, I, I completely freaked out in it. And like, I fought really hard in the race, but I didn't sail 
the way I had been sailing for most of the week. And um, anyway, yeah, and so I finished fourth and I was like completely heartbroken. The Olympics are such a hard competition. It's only once every four years and everything kind of has to go right for you. And I felt like I'd had that week where everything had gone, like I'd sailed really well. Everything had kind of gone right for me. And I didn't know if I was going to, you know, if that was, that was it, that was going to be my one Olympics that I was going to perform well at. And it was a fourth. It was a mixture of, yeah. In one way, like, you know, I was like, I couldn't be disappointed with my performance overall because I did, had a great performance, but I just, I didn't deal with it the right way. But then also like we were able to talk about it afterward, Rory, my coach and Kate, none of us had been in that situation before. We knew I had a chance of maybe winning a medal, but we just didn't really anticipate how well it was going to go. And you were still fourth. I mean, you know, you, you have to take something from that as well. And it led to more Olympics and that silver medal in Rio. Over the next, the following year, it gave me so much motivation. So I was, yeah, finished. I was basically win- nearly winning everything. And I beat all the girls that had beaten me at the Olympics, which was important. Um, I won the European Championships. I actually won nearly every single race. They were on in Dublin Bay as well. So that was unreal because I basically just <laughs> annihilated everyone. I just had one of these weeks where I was just like, I'm so much. So in sailing, like it is, it is boat speed and sailing the boat well, but it's also tactics and strategy. And I love like kind of puzzles. And when the wind, even though it's coming from like the Northwest or the West, it's actually shifting a little bit from side to side. And so you're always trying to basically get the closest distance to the mark using these wind shifts. And I just love that. I'm like, this is class. I don't know. My brain just works that it, it knows how to pick these out. Yeah. I just had one of those weeks where like I could do no wrong. And I was just like, oh my God, maybe this is going to be the rest of my life. It turns out it wasn't. That was pretty much the only time that ever happened to me. (laughs) I then, I actually had a really hard time then between the the sort of 2014, 2015, even 2016, because I just, we knew that Rio was going to be a light wind venue and it didn't, it didn't really, like, I wasn't great in light winds. I was, problem is I'm too big for the boat. So I was too heavy. So, and I was always trying to be lighter, but I'd, be you know trying to be eating really healthily and doing everything right but then I don't know I just go and eat normally for a week and I'd gain the weight I'd lost over a month it was um really difficult to just like kind of horrible cycle that I was in and I ended up actually um Sarah Winter one of my really good Kiwi friends there was a dietitian in New Zealand uh Carolyn Zinn who was kind of getting some of the sailors to try this like high fat low carb diet to as a way of sort of trying to get their weight down for competition while still having good energy levels and things like that. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, I just have to try something else because what I'm doing at the moment, I just feel like I'm just, I just felt like I was failing all the time. Just, but it was just because my body just wanted to be its natural weight. So um, I did this like, yeah, sort of high fat, low carb diet. It really worked for me. It was hard, particularly the first month. I had like very little energy for the first month. I got used to it and um, kind of, I was like, okay, I can manage this now. And then like, it just really worked for me. I was able to get down to like a really competitive weight for the Rio Olympics, not sustainable at all, now, but for the actual, the week that was in it, it was, um, I knew going into Rio, I couldn't have done any more. I couldn't be, I, I'm like as, as light as I physically can be while still being able to function properly. And I've done all the training. I've done all the prep. Sarah, actually the Kiwi girl, she hadn't been selected for New Zealand, even though she qualified. It also made me appreciate how lucky I was because 
Sarah had been performing better than me, but I was getting to go and she wasn't. So she actually came to, to Rio with me. Um, so we had an apartment, an Airbnb with Kate Kirby, Sarah and myself. And then Rory, my coach, was staying in one just across the road. So we had like this great little like group for the whole Olympics. Um, every morning before racing, Sarah and me, we'd go down to the beach and we'd play basketball as like a little warm up just for something because we didn't start racing till one or two every day. So the morning can get quite long, you know, when you get, you wake up because you're a bit nervous. Yeah. We'd go and play basketball and I was just like, I am unreal at basketball. Anyway, I'd go off sailing and Sarah would go back up to the apartment with Kate and they'd drink coffee and Sarah would just be like, Oh my God, she's so bad at basketball. I basically had to just be airballing every time. So she'd win today. Like she was just completely hustling me. And it was a way of building up my confidence. Like, you know, you're doing so great. Look at that. You're so good at basketball. Turns out Sarah was like a netball champion when she was younger. Like she's really good at us. Like, and she was just throwing the ball any old direction. So that it made me think that I was good just to keep my confidence up through the week. But anyway, it worked. But at the end, that was their big running joke was like, at least you are crap at basketball. <laughs> but you're great at sailing and that's what matters. Yeah. So it was, um, 2016 was, it was unreal. And all the lessons that I had to learn from London like I had some really hard debriefs after London of where I went wrong. The big thing that I had come out with the end of it at the end of London was not to fear losing, but to see the opportunity that I had. And that was in London. I, I didn't see that. All I saw was the fear of losing. I couldn't see, like, look at the opportunity. The worst I can finish is fourth. Like I've put myself in this amazing position, but I couldn't even see that. But then all those learnings actually came in Rio. None of these girls have experienced what I have. They haven't experienced what it feels like to come fourth. I know I just have to go out and enjoy my last race because I was went into the last race in third, but uh, third position. But I know that I knew that I could finish as worse as fifth and it was going to be hard to get a gold medal, but easily get a bronze or a silver. But I could also easily drop to fourth or fifth. So but I just had this completely different attitude going into the race and um, actually going around the last last mark of the race. I was actually in gold medal position. And then I just I knew I couldn't do no worse than silver at that stage because of the way the race had panned out. And I just thought I was like, oh my God. I don't know if I want to win a gold medal. That could ruin my life. You know, it was just this like mad moment in the middle of the race where you're like, you should not be thinking about that. But I think it was at this sense of like relief where I knew I couldn't get worse than a silver. And then suddenly I was like, do I actually want to win a gold medal? Like I obviously did. But at the time I was just having this like mad moment. And in that like little mad moment I was having, three boats got inside me and it meant then I was behind them. So <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to get that gold medal after all. <laughs> But isn't it amazing how the difference in your mindset and your attitude affected the London Olympics versus the Rio Olympics and how that fear of being fourth, which is still incredible, when you knocked that on its head in Rio and was like, oh, my God, I'm in, you know, the worst I can do is second. It's just incredible to think that how when you shift your mindset to the positive and think about the positive outcome then it, it leads to it almost. I know there was lots of work went in in the background and things like that as well. And you were much more experienced by the time you got to Rio. But I think that's a valuable lesson for all of us to take away because our mindset is so important for our success. Yeah, it really is. It also, you do have to learn to, to, to get that mindset as well. You know, if I'd never experienced what I, I had in London, I might, you know, I never would have known that that was what, they're, they're like, there is a big thing to say like that, disappointments you do actually learn a lot more from them than from when you do you know when you when you do well because you have to figure out you know where did I go wrong like you know why did this happen well when you do well you're just like whoa <laughs> and you also mentioned you know in, in Rio that uh, none of these girls knew what it felt like to be fourth and you mm -hmm. knew you didn't want to feel like that again so it kind of spurred you on to 
to chase that gold medal or that silver medal or whatever it was that you wanted on, on race day. You did take part in the Volvo Ocean Race after Rio. And, and that's what Hillary mentioned as well. She said, talk to Annalise about the Volvo Ocean Race. Do another bit of a brain dump for me on the Volvo Ocean Race and how you ended up there and what it was like being on the boat. After 20, yeah, 2016, I then I got an email in sort of the middle of 2017 from Dee Kafari asking would I be interested in doing a trial um, to she was putting together a team for the Volvo Ocean Race and she wanted to make it 50-50. So five men and five women. And anyway, I was just like, I can't imagine anything worse. I was like, that sounds horrible. But I was also like, I would, I'd love to go down and you know, see the boat. They were based in Lisbon. I was like, so I flew down to Lisbon to to see the boat, went out sailing for 48 hours, was seasick for the first 24 hours. Then I came in off the water and I was like, I'm so glad I'm back on land. I was like, oh, hang on, come back to me. Did you ever get seasick when you were sailing in your own boat? Yeah. So um, not so much in the laser because you're, first of all, you're on the water, you're so close to the water. And then secondly, you're concentrating so much. You wouldn't really, it would only be sometimes say in between races when you'd be, or when you'd be, if there was no wind, but big swell and you're just hanging around waiting then I'd get seasick. But generally when I was racing, once you're concentrating, you're okay. But it's, but on big boats, I get seasick all the time, like, or like ferries and stuff. I'm like, oh God, I think I'm going to die. So anyway, I, I knew I got seasick. So that was another reason why I was like, I don't want to do this. But um, anyway, we got in and she was like, so at least we'd love to have you on the team I'm, for, that I'm putting together. And I was just like, I feel like we had a very different experience over the last two days. I asked you probably every five minutes, when were we going back to land? <laughs> and um anyway she was like well what do you think and I was like I honestly don't know what to think I was like I'm gonna have to think about this before I say yes so I came home and I thought about it loads and talked to loads of people and talked to my family as well because they're kind of it'd be a big you know big part of my life and um then I thought I was like I'm 27 how like I'll never get an opportunity like this again to race around the world and I was like it's only a year how bad can it be (laughs) like the famous last words it was so hard. I've never like I found it. I found it mentally so challenging. Um, I there was so many times, like particularly in the first half of the race, where I just wanted to quit. Once I kind of got over this moment, I thought I was going to quit halfway when we got into Hong Kong. I'd fully planned. I was like, I'm getting the first a taxi from the boat to the airport, and I'm flying home, and I'm never doing this again. And then once I didn't do that, I kind of was able to get over that sort of mindset and I was just like I'm just going to finish this race and be the best possible team player that I can be on the boat and but it's it's the only thing I'd say is now everything in life feels I can I never really can find things that hard like they are obviously hard but I always just look back and I'm like it's not that hard and why was it so hard what was the what was the big thing that was making it so hard um so you do four hours on four hours off continuously for like three weeks at a time so you're just you're either up on deck either trimming the sails on the grinding pedestal on the winch or or steering for your four hours on and then your four hours off you're eating your freeze-dried food so you boil a kettle pour some water in mix around for 10 minutes and then eat it you're trying to get some sleep so you share a bunk with the person who's the opposite to you so when you're awake they're asleep you rarely get four hours off. There's nearly always they need to do a sail change or a tack or a jibe while you're sleeping. So that means you have to get up, put all your gear back on. So actually you probably only get, you know, one or two hours sleep in that four hours off. So first of all, I love sleeping. So I hated being sleep deprived. 
But I also realized I was like, oh my God, the human body is amazing. Like you actually do get used to it. I couldn't believe that you actually could get used to it. Um, and yeah, so I found it lonely because the days can be so hard and it can be so like windy and kind of full on that you're only really looking after yourself. Like you, you it's you nearly enter this little survival mode and you, you're not really having interaction with anyone. You are, you know, you're talking to like, oh, you know, this with the sale or you say like occasional things, but you actually, you spend a lot of a time kind of in your own thoughts and um, it's hard. You have to learn how to become really patient with people because people can like, when they're like tired and hungry and cold, they can be really mean, but they don't really mean to be. It's just, just kind of like a given with the sort of circumstances. So it was, yeah, it was just like, it was just like mental challenge. And I, I don't know, I love being around people and hanging out and chatting and like, you feel so ice, like in one way it's amazing, you know, you don't know what's going on for three weeks at a time. Three weeks go by and you don't know what's happened with the news or friends or family or anything like that, you know. Uh, but yeah, it's challenging. Um, I actually found these uh, patches you can stick on behind your ears called scopoderm patches and they stopped me getting seasick. So I'd just stick them on um, sort of 24 hours before the start of the leg. And then generally it would basically stop me being seasick. But then I kind of got to the stage where I was like, I don't think I get seasick anymore. Turns out I do. <laughs> Newport, Rhode Island, you're going to Newport to Cardiff. I like went through the full, there's these like stages of seasickness where you're like, you, you know, you feel sick and then you're getting sick. And then you get to the stage where like, you think you're dying. And then you get to the stage where you, you wish that you were dead because it's so <laughs> horrible. I got to the stage where I was just like, I just want to roll off the back of the boat. Like I was in such a bad way. Um, and I'm sure the fatigue didn't help with the seasickness either or your mental state in terms of dealing with that seasickness yeah. on top of everything else. During the race, I had like crazy thoughts. You know, you get back, you get back after like the three weeks offshore onto land. And you're just like, oh my God, like, what was I thinking? Like, you just like, you get pushed, you, you're pushed so hard with like, in terms of like the cold and the exhaustion and just, it's so relentless. You know, you don't, you, you're never waking up to be like, oh, I feel so good today. Like you're just, you're, you're, you're literally just trying to hang on the whole way through the leg, you know, to get to the finish line. And that's the like the challenge of it, I guess. Um, the most amazing experience as well. First of all, getting to be on, I was on the team Turn the Tide on Plastic. So we were, you know, trying to like spread the message of sort of, first of all, like how much plastic there is in the ocean. It was everywhere. Like everywhere we went, you'd be seeing, you know, just rubbish, plastic, small plastic, fishing nets, wheelie bins. Like these are like a thousand miles off the coast. Like, you know. Wheelie bins. Yeah, like one of those, you know, those big massive like industrial wheelie bins. Um, like we we hit one of them like about a thousand miles off the coast of Brazil. There's just these like things that um it was um yeah, it was good to be on a team that was spreading a message that um yeah, it was also, I guess it was cool getting to be on a team with people that were, you know, even though it was brutal, we were all in it together. Like it was it was pretty like cool when we did actually finish the race. And the wildlife we saw was like, it was amazing. Like, you know, dolphins would come along beside us or whales or albatrosses down in the Southern Ocean. And then the sun sets and the sun rises and sailing at night, things like that. Things that are just the, those kinds of experiences. The, the thing that it has, it toughened me up. I thought I was kind of tough, but I'm very tough now. Like also being on a boat, like, you know, there's no shower, there's no toilet. Life is very simple. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the final of uh, Ultimate Hell Week was on last night. 
I think you could oh, yeah. be a candidate. Were you watching it? Oh yeah, no. no. So tough. I'm, <gasps> I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm done with the hardship. Now. <laughs> so if you got offered the opportunity to go back on a boat for the Volvo Ocean Race, would you take it? I said at the end of the race, I was like, I'll never do this again. And I still think, I don't think I've brought out my best when I was doing it because I found it so mentally so tough. So I don't think I'd want to do it again. Um, Just because I want to try and bring my best to the table is particularly if I'm working in a team. And if I can't bring, if I can't bring that, I like, I just feel like it's unfair to myself and unfair to the people that I'd be going with. I was just... I was miserable. I wouldn't let anyone know I was miserable, but I was miserable doing okay. it. So I don't know. And, I, and how, <laughs> did, how did that time on the boat prepare you for Tokyo? In one way, it made me think that I wanted to like sort of change what I was doing. I was like, I don't know if I want to sail the laser anymore. Um, particularly because I struggle so much to get down to the right weight for it. So I tried to sail the 49er FX for a year with one of my friends, Katie. And um, we sailed it for the year um, from sort of when I finished the race, pretty much I flew home and we just got straight into training. So explain uh, to us what's the difference between yeah. that and your laser, laser radial. Yeah. So the laser radial is like a one person boat. There's like a quarter of a million of them in the world. They're very simple. They've one sail, one person. They're just kind of simple, but hard, hard on your body. Well, then the 49er FX is a women's two person skiff. So it's really fast, has three sails. So two sails for when you're going up into the wind. And then you put up a spinnaker when you're going downwind with the wind behind you. And you trapeze and you stand up in the boat. So you wear a harness and then there's a hook coming down from the mast. So you hang off the side of the boat and then you run across the boat. So I'd also spent my whole life in a sitting boat. And then suddenly I was in like a standing up boat. I was like a baby giraffe. Because in my mind, I was just like, I'm going to pick this up, no problem. And I literally... We had this Australian guy coaching us for the first three months and he called me stop, drop and roll because he says that's what I do whenever we'd be changing. So like you either tack or jibe, which is where you change direction in the boat. And like when I just to get from one side of the boat to the other, I'd basically start running across the boat. I then stop when I'd realized my legs didn't know what to do. And then I just dropped the floor and roll across the other side. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a brilliant experience and it made me gave me a lot of confidence in my actual racing abilities but it was it was scary and I was I what I I was scared of injuring Katie as well like because you do get you can get injured in the boat and she broke her arm quite badly when we were about two months into sailing and from that moment on I was like oh I really like I don't mind hurting myself but it's hurting someone else like freaked me out and it was we kind of just realized there wasn't enough time to I think it was ambitious thinking that in two years we'd learn how to sail the boat and get to the Olympics. And we went to the Olympic test event in the 49er FX. And it was there I realized I was like, I'd excel in the laser here in the venue in Japan. It's like windy and wavy. And it's like everything I'm good at in the laser and everything I'm bad at in the 49er. So I decided to get back into the laser. Now, I didn't realize, I think probably if we'd had the three years in the 49er, we actually would have been able to crack it. But who knew that we were going to get COVID? <laughs> um, so I just threw myself back into the laser. And I had a fantastic few months when I just got back into it because I was so sort of energized and so confident in my abilities. And yeah, it was doing really well. I was sort of in a position to win the world championships going into the final race. 
and I got disqualified from the race for um, breaking the propulsion rules. So you're not allowed to sort of rock the boat or pump the sail illegally. And there's kind of edges of the rules. Like you need to sail the boat well. Like, you know, you have to be on the edge of the rules to be going fast. And um, I don't know, I think, I guess I was like the tension of knowing that if I just finished the race in the position I was in, I'd win the world championships. I was obviously just like, I don't know, being a bit of like a disco dancer in my boat without really even realizing it. It was more like the tension of it. Um, and yeah, I got uh, disqualified from the race, which was a bit of a disaster. So I ended up finishing 12th. Um, that's racing. But it kind of, I was like, the Olympics are in five months time. You know, I don't want to be peaking now. I need to be peaking in five months. And then, yeah, then uh, I got home from Australia, had my 30th birthday party. And then like, it was literally like three weeks later, it was like, don't leave your houses. <laughs> so um I I qualified for the Tokyo Olympics in the laser and I kind of got into this like I was nearly obsessive with my training I just was like I need to leave no stone unturned and sometimes I don't know maybe I went too far you know maybe I had so much pressure on myself because I felt like I needed to do get everything right and do every little bit of training I just I was always doing extra stuff in the laser you, it's called hiking where you hang out the side of the boat and I had a hiking bench in my house and I kind of just made a rule for myself that I was like, I'm going to do hiking bench every single day so that I'm able to basically hang out of the boat better than anyone else. So that's what I did. And like, I literally had like a core of absolute steel by the time the Olympics came around. <laughs> but it's like, there was like, I, I felt like I did everything that I could have, except probably the one thing I neglected was in my mind, I thought I was like, you know, I'm so old and wise now and I've been to so many Olympics and I know how to deal with the pressure and stuff. And I didn't deal with internal pressure that I put on myself well. And I had a bad first race and I found it really hard to kind of come out of it. And it just snowballed into a bad two first two days. And then I kind of managed to come out of it when I realized I was like, well, it's all over now. And then I had a couple of good days and at least I won a race, which was like my one thing. I was like, well, at least I won a race, even if I haven't had a good Olympics. But oh, it was so hard. Like, I think when I felt like I put more into Tokyo than I had into Rio or London, I really had given it everything. And I'd taken it like a next level in like terms of sacrifice, like, you know, not doing anything, like being really good with my recovery. Like I, I was kind of felt like everything had to be perfect. And I felt like I'd I felt like I just worked so hard. And then at the end of it, I was like, hard work doesn't pay off. This is, this is terrible. But I was kind of sad for a few weeks. And then like, I sort of managed to get over it and went on a cycling trip with a couple of my friends. We cycled from Westport to the top of Donegal, bike packing. We literally, we brought like about 20 kilos of stuff in our bike packing bags, which we regretted going up every hill. Like I was like, I brought two dresses because I was like, maybe we'll go to the pub. Sure, we were so tired every day after cycling all day. It was like, let's just lie in and get takeaway. I then, yeah, I started uh, an MBA in Trinity. And in my mind, I was like, oh, this is going to be fine. Like, you know, I know how to just like put the work in and deal with it. Two weeks in, I was like, this is horrible. I can't do this. But I'm able to look back now and think, you know, if everything had gone well for me in in the Olympics, maybe I wouldn't have been able to kind of push through this year in in the in college because I would have been like a bit distracted by, you know, doing well at the Olympics and maybe also been like, ah, you know, I don't need to work so hard. <laughs> so I think now I'm able to 
see it in a, you know, life isn't always going to, you know, throw everything at you like that. It's not always going to be easy and disappointments like they do actually shape you as a person. And mm. I learned lots about myself. Um, you also realize with disappointments that you come home and your family still love you. Your friends still think you're great. You know, it was, uh, you know, nothing's changed. You know, everyone's, everyone's still, you know, proud of you and you have to kind of see it like that, which takes time. We put so much pressure on ourselves generally, no matter who you are. I think most people put pressure on themselves. You know, you are amazing no matter where you finished in the Olympics or how you finished in a bike race. And lots of people don't have the courage to step up to do the things that you have achieved, Annalise. So many of us are inspired by what you've done and what you've achieved. It's intriguing and fascinating to listen to you talk about everything you've been through, through sport and the different mindset that you had and the success that you've had. So the big question, what is next? The big question. Well, what is next? Um, I guess I actually don't finish until August. So I still have two more months of college left, which is a bit of a shock because in my mind, I'm kind of, we had like our sort of last big bunch of exams there a few weeks ago. I'm kind of in my mind, I'm like, ah, I'm on holidays. So I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I'm not. You kind of have to remember that you still have like a good bit to do to get through the year. I can't also believe that I've actually managed to make it this far because I wouldn't be great at applying myself academically. Like I definitely, like I struggle with it and I, I've probably like gone out on my bike and you know cycling around the place instead when I should be so do you have to set like a target for yourself saying okay I'm going to do an hour of my study and my college work and then I'll reward myself with like an hour on the bike kind of yeah like I had like to write four big essays there okay you're going to write a thousand words and then you're going to get to go out on the bike for two hours then you're going to come back home and do another thousand words but it meant that I actually got it all done on time just because this is how I'm going to do it. And the thing is, I actually would say like, I could have spent 12 hours in my room trying to write my essays and I would have probably done less. Like, so it was just kind of by rewarding myself with like being like, okay, you can do this or that. Or I had to write an essay while I was in Utah. Like I didn't go to watch the start of the swim with Hillary. I woke up and I was like, good luck on your swim. I have to write my essay now. And then I'm going to come out and cheer you on on the bike. (laughs) Although I do worry, like I feel so bad for all these poor lecturers that are like correcting my essays because they're probably just like, this makes no sense. What is she talking about? And I also I love like bringing in a bit of life experience into my essays that when they're like academic essays and you're not meant to like be talking about like, this is my thought. (laughs) Like the thing I've enjoyed most is like the project work, because first of all, it's kind of like, I don't know, you get to work with the team. So it's really fun working with a group of people and also, it's a bit competitive because there's like prizes in the or there's, you know, who does the best company. Project. And you're not competitive yeah. at all. Yeah, well, you see, I realized I can't be competitive on the individual stuff because they're all everyone in the class is a genius. And, you know, I was just like, OK, I, I'm not going to get the best essays because, first of all, I'm just basically it's like Annalise's brain thoughts, like rather than like anything from actual research. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to do well in these essays. But this stuff, I was like, I can be great at this. So um. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed definitely like there's been times of it where I've been like, this is really hard. But I think I've had a pretty good attitude of just trying to the things that I'm that I enjoy and I'm good at to like throw myself into them and the things that I don't enjoy so much. Just, you know, make sure that I learn enough that I can get through it and get out the other side. And that's kind of um, how I've sort of approached the year. And so, yeah, I've you know, I'm basically 80 percent of the way through it and uh 
I don't know, passed my exams. So I'm like, it's like, I'm like, they can't stop me now. <laughs> and of course, uh, a little birdie told me that you spent some time in Ballymaloo uh, cooking and have a huge passion for food. Yeah. I, like, it's really important after the Olympics that you have something to do because it's a really hard time. You, you go, you have this like one singular goal and then it's over and you're kind of like, what am I going to do now? So I've always been quite good. Like, after the 2012 Olympics, I went back to UCD to, to do health and performance science. And I also signed up for the Ironman 70.3 in Lanzarote. So I had like two little goals for like kind of the like coming months afterwards. This is back when nobody did half Ironmans, like in 2012. People were like, you're doing what? I'm like, oh yeah, it'll be grand. Um, it was actually, I had a great day. But um, so that was like good. And then for after Rio, I knew I was like, it's really important that I have something to do. And I love, like, I love cooking. I've been really into it. I don't know if I like the, like, the kind of control. And I love entertaining people as well. Like, I love having, like, dinner parties and stuff like that. But I decided, I was like, after Rio, I'm going to go to Ballymaloo for three months. So I was meant to start in September. But then I got home from Rio. I didn't have any realization or idea of what was going to kind of be waiting for me when I got home. Like, life was just so full on. Like, I was going to, I was on the Late Late Show and there was, huge party in Dunleary and I was on TV all the time and I was going into loads of schools and I so I just so I deferred it till the January of 2017 and then I went down for three months to Ballymaloo and I had like the time of my life down there it was so much fun I love cooking and baking so I just enjoyed it and then I'd all spent so much of my career being so strict with what I was eating and it, it actually can be quite hard because you go in this like stage where you're like nearly like, you know, like a little bit obsessed with with your your food and your eating. And you have to be very careful that you don't that doesn't end up going the wrong way, that you end up sort of with an eating disorder. So it's like a fine line to to balance it. And then suddenly I was like in a place where I was like everyone just loved food and baking cakes and eating cheese all day. And I was just like, oh, my God, this place is amazing. But um, I actually signed myself up for a half Ironman in Aix en Provence in May because I was like, this will mean that I keep on doing some training while I'm eating all the cake. <laughs> so I'd be out like running laps of uh, of the roads of East Cork around Ballycotton and stuff in the in the mornings and the evenings before and after class to like uh, to keep up some kind of fitness while I was doing it. But a gr- like it's been a, it's such a great thing to do. And it does make you when you do have to eat very healthily, it's great kind of having this like repertoire of knowing how to use sort of every different herb and spice and you can just make food so tasty but really healthy as well what's your favorite go-to dish now oh, that's a good question um I do actually really like eating healthily even though I've also discovered a love for bread 41 pastries because bread 41 is directly opposite the trinity business school I just really like making simple like um like curries and things like, like that's kind of and it's not even like a Ballymaloo recipe. I literally just lash in some yeah, uh, red curry paste, some coconut milk, mad for a bit of almond butter, just like throw a bit of that in and then just like loads of vegetables and like, I don't know, some prawns or some chicken or something like that. So like that's kind of like my go to for just sort of quick, easy, sort of healthy food. But um, I actually I don't do as much cooking as I would have done like when I was sailing full time I was cooking all the time because it was my way of relaxing in the evening just like 
I know I was like, oh, I'm going to cook in the evening. And it would give me like probably half an hour to 45 minutes to just like make all the food. And because you're concentrating on doing that, I wasn't thinking about sailing. And then also I'd make enough that I'd have enough for lunch the next day. So yeah, I actually cook way less now (laughs) because I'm just running around like a lunatic the whole time. Also like going out for food. That's another great freedom of what I have is like before I really wouldn't have wanted to go out to restaurants that much just because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to eat the right thing or stuff like that. Well, now I'm just like out and I'm like, I'll have the starter, the main course and the dessert, please. And Uh, she'll work it all off on the bike anyway. Yeah, I know. It's uh, well, I don't know. There's um, I don't actually know if you can like out cycle eating a bad diet. No, I don't think so either. But um, no, but life is also for kind of enjoyment. And that's I guess I'm getting to experience that side of it now. Yeah. And you also sit on the um, uh, Olympic Federation of Ireland Athletes Commission. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that. I'm conscious that we're we're over an hour now at this stage, um, but I could talk to you for another hour. But talk to me a little bit about that before we get to some of our audience questions. Um, yeah, so I'm on the OFI Athletes Commission and I've only just started. So I'm not really too sure exactly where it's going to take me. But what I really want to do is try and maybe mentor younger athletes, like help them because I've got, you know, I've learned so many lessons over the three Olympic cycles that I've done that you don't, I don't just want to like hold that to myself and like not pass it on in some way. So helping them out. And then also maybe trying to help out like that post Olympic period, because it is really hard. You know, you have this, this singular goal for your, you know, four years or, you know, eight years or 12 years. Some people will be campaigning for 12 years before they actually make it to their first Olympics, you know, and then it's a huge moment in your life and it's an event like nothing else. And then when it's over, you're like, kind of like, what am I going to do with myself now? Like, cause I guess I've been quite lucky that I've always thrown myself into something else, but it's been, you know, it's been through advice and guidance that I've got to do that. You know, if it wasn't people saying, you know, what are you going to do after the Olympics? And like, have you got any plans and you make sure you get to do something that you enjoy and that, you know, that you'll, you know, that will give you, you know, a sort of a new goal to take on. So that would be, they would be kind of like what I'd like to help with. And sailing is a sport that has so many variables that you can kind of help across a lot of sports because it's not just working on one thing. It's, you know, it's the, like the preparation, like in terms of your nutrition and your sleep and your recovery and your mental, like your, your mindset and your logistics there's just there's so many different sort of aspects that I think I could probably help young athletes with so that's that's that, that's what I hope to do <laughs> absolutely and the experience that you've had will ultimately help others as they prepare for olympic cycles or world championships you can't buy the experience that you will bring to the table you're also as i mentioned earlier a big inspiration to a lot of people um in terms of what you've achieved and and what you've done over the years but if I was to ask you, who has been your biggest inspiration in life, in sport, in everything that you've done? Oh, it's like, it's a difficult one. But like, I guess my mom, first of all, just, she's just one of these people that just goes out and does stuff, you know? She's, um, I guess, her going to the Olympics, um, it did, you don't realize it at the time, but she went, when she went in 88, that was the first time that there was a women's sailing class at the Olympics. So, you know, she was the first of you know a new generation getting to compete at the olympics and sailing and you don't even realize it when you're kind of growing up but like i just had like a, like a role model without even understanding what that was so um yeah my mom just 
And then the, the advice that both my mum and dad were able to give me, even going into the London Olympics, because they'd experienced the Olympics and they were able to be like, things will go wrong. And it's how you deal with things going wrong that will determine your, your event. And, you know, cause they'd experienced it before. It was like, it was a massive uh, advantage outside of that. Like, well, there's loads of amazing sports women. Well, so my primary school teacher was a massive cove man. So, and I was in a, I was, I must've been in fourth or fifth class, maybe fifth class when, uh, when Sonia O'Sullivan won her silver medal in the Sydney Olympics, it was just the start of the year. Cause I remember, and he wheeled the TV in and we all watched, um, I don't know, it must've been like early in the morning or something. We watched Sonia uh, compete in, in Sydney. Yeah. That was really exciting to see an Irish sportswoman win an Olympic medal. And I guess growing up because the Olympics were like a thing that I was very aware of, you know, it was, we were watching the Olympics and what's happening and watching the sailing. And you don't really quite understand it when you're that age, but you also are excited because you're like, there's an Irish person doing well. Yeah. So they're probably, you know, the two main ones in, in, uh, you know, I guess I, all of the girls that I competed against are kind of like sort of people I look up to and role models as well. Cause you know, I would love to have been as successful as they were, <laughs> but, um, that's kind of comes with when you're, you know, when you're just racing against against really exceptional people. Uh, we have some questions that have come in from the audience. So Shannon Kelly asks, your funniest training moment? <laughs> oh, I've got so many. <laughs> um, the funniest one, I don't know. I've got loads, like when I be sailing, like just like falling out of my boat all the time. Like I'm a bit, of, I'm a bit clumsy. And like, I don't, I, pretty much when I was racing, I think I was just focused enough to just about hold it together. But in training, I'd always just be like pushing it and just like, falling out backwards out of my boat and things like that but out out on the bike I've had like loads of like sort of ones where I was out in Grand Canaria and we'd got lost and we'd done like 4,000 meters of climbing and then it started raining and I hadn't eaten any food in about three hours just because there were no shops because I'd brought us down the wrong side of the mountain and I like started trying to get into a cave because I was like I need to get into a cave that was probably I still think like the hardest day cycling I've ever done. <laughs> I ended up getting attacked, found a taxi who brought me down from the top of the mountain. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, I love bringing a speaker out on the bike. Obviously you can only kind of do it on quiet roads or else it's a bit dangerous, but um, bringing a speaker and just like blaring good tunes when you have to do a hard session, it's so much crack. And being out with a big group of, a big group of girls as well is great. Like, Training with a good group of girls when you're out cycling is so much fun because you just like chat away and gossip and you're still getting the work done, but you like, it's just the time flies by. So uh, yeah, I don't know. They're, I don't know if they're funny moments, but yeah. They're interesting moments at least. Um, we also had a question coming in from somebody. They said, being six foot one myself, what advice can you give me to beat lighter sailors in light air conditions? So a huge part of it is technique. That was something that I really, really worked on was sailing the boat really well and really accurately and it was still frustrating because we'd be doing like video analysis after training and I'd be sailing the boat beautifully like perfectly and there'd be someone beside me who'd be sailing the boat kind of badly and they'd be going the same speed I'd be like it's so unfair I'm concentrating so hard and I'm doing such a good job and they're still going the same speed as me but then it does like it is you know like you just you have to work to your strengths and have a good mindset going out on those lighter wind days which is that's something that I still struggle with. I don't, I don't know, like, I wish I didn't, but 
you know, I'd always struggle with trying to get myself in the good mindset for the light wind days, but I'd also, then I would be able to go out on the light wind days and have really good days there. So you have to make less mistakes than people when it's, when it's more difficult, but then it means you'll just, you can excel across the whole regatta. Ronan Kieran asks, what's the next challenge? Will you be in a crew going around the world or single-handed? Oh no, but that's just crazy stuff altogether. And um, neither of those, thanks very much. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'm single-handed. I get so lonely. Like I get lonely when I'm on my own for about 15 minutes. Imagine being on your own single-handed for like four months sailing around the world. No, thanks. I'd like I'd turn into like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Uh, <laughs> I'm not too sure what, like what's next for me. I'm just, uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out at the moment. Going to keep riding your bike and having fun. Yeah. And then Shane Kelly asks, is there any yacht racing planned? I'm going to get back into sailing a bit. I've been sailing the water wag which is just a wooden boat that's not really yacht racing but um i got beaten by my mum and dad there on wednesday night um my sister was beating me as well but my mum sabotaged my sister so luckily i beat my sister then i don't know if it's a healthy family relationship when we're literally out like trying to take each other out the different family members yeah i'd love to do some maybe try and sail on some bigger some bigger sort of racing yachts uh, maybe a little bit in the mediterranean during the, during the summer if there's opportunities there's also the thing called the Star Sailors League that there was on last week. I wasn't able to go because I had a big project in college, but I'd love to be involved with that because there's an Irish team and um, it's quite quite a cool new concept for sailing. One final question. Of all your achievements to date, what are you most proud of? Oh, like, I don't know, probably still winning a silver medal in Rio because it's just, it's something I never thought I'd be able to do. I don't know. I just consider myself a very, you know, like, just like a normal person. Um, so to be able to actually do do something that I never thought I could achieve is pretty special. And and the like the feeling afterwards, like I've never felt that sense of I was on this like mad endorphin high for so long afterwards. Um, it was so great. And my whole family being there as well, like being able to celebrate with them. It was uh it was just a moment that I'm I'm very lucky and you kind of forget, you know. You'll forget about it because, you know, it happened, whatever, six years ago. But it's still, yeah, I guess it's the thing that I actually and I actually managed to do it. I managed to my lessons I'd learned from London. I managed to keep keep my head on and uh, put them forward in in Rio was good. Well, we'll have to see you come down to Galway for an old spin. We might get Hillary down from Westport. You can bring us sailing and we'll bring you cycling down around the back roads of Connemara and Westport. Uh, thank you so much, Annalise Murphy, for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. You can follow all of our activities and adventures and, of course, our podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by, say hi, let me know what you think of the show. And if you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. Finally, be sure to sign up to our new e-zine, featuring articles of interest, some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey, wherever it may take you. Sign up on www.trytalkingsport.com. It takes 30 seconds. And I promise I won't bombard your inbox with emails, just the important stuff. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.